This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 609 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, and sharing a body with me is your head number two. And my name is Matt Baum. Today, we are back with the first Cosmic Longbox show of the year, where we review classic comics based on a theme, and since... It's almost Valentine's Day. Today's show is for lovers. We decided to get real sexy. Joe, the cosmic long box calls. And woe be to those who defy the call. You heard that right. This time, the cosmic long box demands we review classic comics featuring couples. But we took it a step further. I'll be reviewing famous wedding issues, and Matt will be reviewing infamous breakup issues. (laughs) Matt, since your cold, dead soul is incapable of love, why don't you start us off? My first Cosmic Longbox review today is of X-Factor number ones from Marvel. The year was 1985. This was written by Bob Layton with art by Jackson Butch, in quotes, Geis. The story opens with Scott. Madeline and Baby in Alaska. He's retired. He's done being a hero. His name is just Baby at this point. Yeah, it's just Baby. I don't think they ever have named the kid yet, right? Uh, Isn't it weird that they called him Cable? Like, that's kind of a weird nickname (laughs) for a baby. That's some foreshadowing there, man, right? Real quick, and maybe I'm having a complete brain fart here. Is Madeline Cable's mom and not Jean? Yes, Jean has been, well... Missing since the 70s. <laughs> okay. I, the I, early 80s. It totally slipped my mind that Madeline was Cable's mom and not Yes, Jean. the Goblin Queen is Cable's mom. I totally forgot. All right. Regardless. Now, we're going to talk about a very special breakup here, but this is technically the second time Scott has tried to leave his wife and baby. Not too long ago, in the pages of Uncanny X-Men 201, Scott left Maddie high and dry because he decided he needed to take his role back as the leader of the X-Men. Unfortunately, Storm whips his tail in a duel and sends him back home packing to his wife and kid. (laughs) It is amazing how much dialogue Bob Layton crushes into every panel of this comic. After I read it, I felt like I read 300 pages. <laughs> it was yeah, stunning. It's, it's a lot. Now, Scott met, just for those of you who don't know, Scott met Madeline, who would turn out to be a clone of Jean. Now, how you don't notice that, I don't know. She looked exactly like her. That should be You'd a red think. flag. Yeah, right. <laughs> this was right after Jean died, in quotes. He then quit the X-Men, got married, had a baby, instantly regretted it like there was no point where scott felt good about being at home with a wife and kid he flat out admits he would rather be with the x-men and he's thinking about gene to his clone wife angel is kicking it in colorado with iceman and beast who have also quit after the defenders took a crap iceman's gonna go work in an accounting firm and beast is trying to get in as a professor in a series of different colleges but they don't want him because he's blue and furry what can you do reed richards calls angel tells him Gene's alive. It's crazy. Angel jumps on a plane, shirtless, mind you, and flies to New York. (laughs) He goes so fast, he doesn't have time to put on clothes. I mean, it's a private plane. He makes a call to Scott. Scott does not need to be told twice. Tells Maddie, I gotta go. Have fun raising the kid. Skips town. He gets to New York. Gene jumps into his arms, and Scott forgets to mention that he's married. He asks her instead how she survived, and Angel comes in to retell the entirety of the Phoenix Saga, which Scott even stops him to say, why are you telling me this, Warren? I was there. (laughs) But what Scott doesn't know is it turns out Gene wasn't the Phoenix, and instead, the Phoenix decided to basically clone Gene again (laughs) and trap the real gene in a cocoon in the bottom of jamaica bay where the avengers just discovered her and she's great but she did lose her telepathy (laughs) 
then. Yeah, I don't I don't get that part. For, yeah, for reasons, I guess. Then Cameron Hodge shows up and turns out Warren has secretly put together a new firm, X Factor, that will respond to a toll-free hotline for people reporting out-of-control mutants. But they do this disguised as scientists and psychologists. The first one they respond to, a pyrokinetic sailor named Rusty, who accidentally burned a hooker. His chief tried to set him up with. And then, while Rusty is in jail in San Diego, the chief shows up to visit him in prison with a handgun, and apparently he's going to execute him in his cell because he loved that old hooker. Emma was her name. She's a real sweetheart. Heart of gold, that Emma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rusty freaks out, someone calls X-Factor, and they leap into the X-plane that flies out of LaGuardia Airport in New York, by the way. I don't know if you've ever flown through LaGuardia. Nothing on time happens at LaGuardia Airport in New York. Again, probably a private plane. <laughs> Warren it. Worthington is very rich. This is still LaGuardia, and I don't trust those assholes. <laughs> Reading about this storyline, I found an interview with Chris Claremont, and he hated it. Not only does it undo his Phoenix saga, but it also turns Scott into a deadbeat dad. Sure, he's a little bummed out, and he is conflicted, but he just walked the fuck out. <laughs> like, There's no question. He just leaves. This is such a weird first issue. The team isn't even in costume until the final five pages. Leighton writes a script and dialogue like he's being paid by the word. Geist kills it on art, but there is some weirdness like Warren wearing a giant red cape to hide his wings, along with a golf shirt and trousers. <laughs> He's not exactly dressed like Dr. Doom. He's dressed like a dude that you might see at the, you know, the country club with a massive red cape. It was so weird. In his own home. Yeah, in his house, by the way. Or at least it was in X-Factor and in the new headquarters. Right. This was such a weird time for these X-Men. I have the fondest memories for this series, but upon revisit, it did not start well. Plus, I'm going to read the breakups in these two. This was the shittiest breakup. This was as shitty as it could be. It's just basically Scott was too much of a weenie to tell Madeline, I made a mistake. You might be a clone. That's kind of weird. I know we had a kid and all, but I'm out of here. He just left. He just left. Well, now, now, hold on. I think we need to make a distinction here because are we talking about the quality of the character's behavior or are we talking about... All of the above. I want the drama. The execution of the breakup by the creative team. All of the I above. I have thoughts on some of those. All of the above. I want drama. It either needs to be super shitty blowout you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, they were pulling each other's hair out. Like, that was great. Or like, completely adult and they agree. You know, those would both be on the great scale. This is a shitty breakup in the sense that it's just like, Madeline's like, you want to go? Go. And he's like, mm. <laughs> and just leaves. <laughs> Fuck you, Scott. I'm giving this a skim it. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, I never read X Factor as a kid and I've tried a number of times to get started on it. <sighs> I loved uh, as an it. Adult. I loved this book and as a it kid. Is, it is such a slog. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, the art is great. I love Butch Guys. Uh, there is one panel where um, Rusty freaks out and his face looks like uh, the Nazi at the end of Raiders of the Lost. Yeah. It definitely, I think they were trying to like illustrate like maybe heat. Or flames coming, but it does look like he is I don't know. melting. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Large March from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, he's um, melting. But uh, yeah, uh, the whole concept is so complicated. It, yeah. It's so convoluted, and it doesn't like, need to be. Just start another X team. Hey, we're we're gonna be X Factor. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna be a little more proactive than the X Men. Okay. <laughs> like the remember when the X-Men used to save mutants? They don't do that anymore. They're going through the siege Polarius and Magneto is running them and who knows what the fuck's going on. So we're gonna do it our way. X Factor. Go. There you go. I mean, I, I kind of understand the undercover element, the appeal of it. But it's just like, yep, we we're posing as the Ghostbusters by day. Right. And then by night, if we have to fight, we put on our Leotards. Right. Uh, yeah, this is a skim it. I mean, it, it, whatever. I, I don't know. I, I tried. I've tried many times. It's not, it's not that I hate it. It's that it's just it's it gets, a very difficult barrier of entry. It gets so good. It really does. When Louise Simonson comes on board, it gets so good. We're just not there yet. And here's a funny thing. 
I constantly talk about how much I love Bob Layton's Hercules and Bob Layton's Iron Man. He did not write those books like this. He just didn't. I think he's trying to be Chris Claremont and just overwriting everything because this is not Layton's style. It's so weird. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I love you, Bob Layton. Thing- if you're out there listening, I know you follow the show on Twitter. I love you. This was a weird one. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. The whole thing about Jean Grey coming back was editorial, editorially mandated. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know that a lot of the creators involved were. So, you like playing God with mutants' lives? Well, just keep away from my friends! My first review is a Fantastic Four annual number three from Marvel from the bygone era of 1965. Reed and Sue are finally getting hitched and Dr. Doom is pissed. Using a very specific device he just happened to have handy, Doom makes the villains of the Marvel Universe just as jealous as he is, (laughs) sending them to converge on the blessed event all at once. It's great though because he's not like, he's not mad that he's like, she was supposed to marry me. Like, no, he's just like, they don't get to be happy. (laughs) Like, he's just shitty, man. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) This issue is a who's who of nearly every character in the 1965 Marvel roster. And as the story's title says, it does indeed create Bedlam at the Baxter building. Oh, big time. Stan and Jack are at the top of their game here, presenting one ridiculous encounter after another in rapid fire succession. While Vince Coletta's inks don't do Kirby's art many favors, this issue is a blast to look at. Naturally, Reed finds a solution and saves the day. The lovebirds are married, and two familiar-looking wedding crashers are shown the door by Nick Fury and his agents. FF Annual number three is the insane prototype for decades of wedding issues to follow. And it was a ton of fun to read. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, this was just stupid slam bang classic Marvel fun. Everybody is here. Literally everybody. It's a wedding issue with almost every hero you can think of showing up and it's great. (laughs) And the way like some of them enter enter the picture, it's like, Reed says to Matt Murdock, Matt, you're our lawyer. Uh, Matt, you're our friend and lawyer. Can you please go uh, talk to the guests and let them know what's going on? Right. And Matt's, and Matt's like, oh, I don't feel so good. Uh, can you have somebody else do it? No, he turns to Foggy. He turns to Foggy and Karen. Yeah, right. yeah. And he's like, I'm not real comfortable with that. Do you guys think you can handle it? Exit stage left. And then go to Daredevil. Become Daredevil. Yeah, and Foggy's not like, well, what's your fucking problem? <laughs> you know? It's like, uh, the, 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 uh, the first one on the, the first villain on the scene is the puppet master. Right. And he doesn't and even uh, know why he's mad. Is the best. No, no, no. That was, that was, I, I actually kind of liked that. He's like, I don't know why I was so compelled yeah. to attack this he's wedding. Like, Here I am. Um, I'm not sure why I'm so pissed, but God damn it. I'm mad. <laughs> but then like, literally as he's walking away from the scene, the red ghost and his super apes walk out of an alley right behind him <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't know it. And, but even there, they're like, all right, we're here and we're super pissed, I guess. <laughs> great. No, it's he, so much fun. It's he, so much fun. Huge buy-in from me, too. Little do they dream that soon they shall be serving Dr. Doom. And after them... Next up, I got another smoking breakup for you. West Coast Avengers, number 35 from Marvel. Oh, doggies. This was 1985, which was the year of doing your woman wrong, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) This was written by Steve Englehart with art by Al Milgram. Hawkeye and Mockingbird wake up in Latveria after crash landing a Quinjet. They're greeted by Dr. Doom, who is currently in the body of his son, Kristoff, a nine-year-old. This is just his, his after. Ward, no blood relation. Oh, okay. So, thank you. This is just after he had possessed the body of Daredevil for a bit while there was another person. Oh, no, listen. Hey, it, the footnote said that he possessed Daredevil's body in Daredevil 39, which would have been in the 60s. Oh, really? So he, he's been possessing fools for decades. Oh, oh, fair enough. This was all happening because Doom's actual body is running around with somebody else inside of it impersonating Doom. Yeah, I don't remember who that was. So, just another Tuesday in Latveria, I guess. Yeah. I I guess CFF issue whatever. Yeah. 
Kid Doom has Hawkeye and Mockingbird in a posh hotel room, while the other Avengers are in a dungeon designed to thwart their powers, including a helmet that will crush Hank Pym's brain if he tries to grow or shrink. By the way, while in said dungeon, Hank turns to Janet and says, Janet, try calling the ants. I can't do it because of the helmet. And I was like, Janet doesn't call ants. And Janet goes, all right, let me give it a shot. And two antennas stick out of her head. And I had no idea that was ever a thing for the wasp. <laughs> uh, when the In the 60s, the Silver Age wasp, when she would shrink. She was like a bug? She would grow her wings and also two antenna. Good Lord. I didn't know she was like, and, and like if you, the way Kirby drew her, it just looked like it was part of her helmet. Yeah. I thought she was just like a, a, a shrinking woman that had robot wings and maybe like cute little antenna. I didn't realize like they were actual antenna. And I said out loud, gross. <laughs> yeah. Especially cause she like takes a shit to get them out. Yeah, they like, she has to like get weird little erections out of her head. It was gross. The Doom storyline is a central plot, but we're here for the breakup, baby, of Hawkeye and Mockingbird. And let me tell you, this one is a doozy. <laughs> While locked in their posh room, by the way, never an explanation why Doom put them in like a super nice room and wanted to try and convince them to help him, but put the other Avengers in locked up in a dungeon and stuck Moon Knight and Tigra in a murder room. <laughs> just like full of blades and guns yeah. and you know, yeah. like, no explanation at all. He's a romantic. While locked in their posh room in Doom Castle, Mockingbird asks Hawkeye, her husband at the time, why have you been so distant, baby? Turns out Mockingbird was recently kidnapped and straight up raped by the Phantom Rider. During her escape, she left the Phantom Rider to die. There's a panel where she says, while they're fighting, he drugged me and made me love him, <laughs> which is beyond the pale, <laughs> right? Now, I'm not yeah. clear how the Phantom Rider told Hawkeye a totally different story, but Hawkeye immediately takes bad guy rape aside and accuses Bobby of lying and killing the guy, basically saying, yeah, well, I heard a different story, baby. <laughs> Which results in them screaming that they both want a divorce. First of all, you gotta believe women, Hawkeye. Second, she's your fucking wife, Hawkeye, and she obviously didn't kill a dude for shits and giggles. All right? Yeah. Come on, I, man. I, I, I have to. I have to stop because when I got to the part where Mockingbird yells. You can't divorce me because I'm divorcing you. Yeah, it's great. I had to put my iPad down. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and compose myself. But like, you know what? She's fucking right. No, you don't get to leave me, asshole. <laughs> like, are you serious? After yeah. what I went through, you think I killed this guy because I felt like it? You know? Right. Meanwhile, Jan and Hank are also recently divorced. After he beat the hell out of her, apparently he hit her one time. <laughs> Hank and the team were heading back to Hungary. To Not get, a defense, by the way. To get payback for the death of his first wife at the hands of Hungarian spies. Now, no, 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 no. That's yeah. not the story. He was, they were heading back to Hungary to find out what happened to his ex-wife. No, that happened years ago. They no, I know. He already knew what happened to her. Oh, but Wanda even says, well, like, we're, yeah, we need to find out what happened to, what's her name? May or? Maria? Ma yeah, Maria Pym. She even Are says you it. sure they mentioned Maria in this book? She says, the only thing that's important is finding out what happened to my brother and Maria Pym. She says that. That's why, that's where all this came from for me. It was like Hungarian spies. What were they, spying on our gymnastics group at the Olympics or some shit? <laughs> I don't get it, though, because Hank knew that she was murdered. Don't look at me, man. So Jan and Hank also aren't getting along. The issue culminates with Moon Knight and Tigra, who had a pushed-up kitty nose at the time, and yep. fought in a string bikini that was really more of just like a boob sack, because there was no string that went around the back. <laughs> They say uh, I mean it's covered in fur. I suppose. It's like under the fur. Yeah. Moon Knight saves the team after he escapes Doom's terror dungeon by knocking himself unconscious and turning into Khonshu, 
who basically scares Kid Doom Re- into freeing the everyone. the spirit of Kanchi. Yeah. yeah, like, so Kanchi walks down the hallway. Kid Doom's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm a god. I do whatever I want. And Doom's like, oh, yeah, I'm not scared of gods. And he's like, release the Avengers. He's like, all right, I'll do it, but not because I'm scared of you. And then he runs away. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. <laughs> what a bizarre fucking comic this was. Englehart's script is nuts and it constantly plays up the insane drama of this group everyone is either sleeping with the other or was recently sleeping with them or just plain fucking hates somebody else and dr doom is a body hopping little kid milgram's art is classic marvel avengers it's sometimes fantastic other times weird as hell see Tigress Kitty Nose and Boob Sling. Kid Doom has some size issues. Like, sometimes he's obviously a kid. Other times he's as big as the Doombots that he's walking around with. But I can't say I didn't love this. Maybe the Doombots are kid-sized. Maybe they. Maybe he made them all kid-sized so he doesn't feel so awkward, you know? Insecure. Hell of a breakup here. I gotta say, breakup, five fucking stars. <laughs> this was some serious drama, and I loved it. The two are screaming at each other with spiky word balloons, and by the way, fuck you, Hawkeye. You're a total asshole. I'm giving this a buy it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, uh, this was a roller coaster ride. It was <laughs> it was bonkers in all of the best ways. I, like, If this super team showed up, if I'm in trouble, and this super team showed up, I'd be like, can I is there any chance like we could have a different super team? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. like, hey guys, I'm all right. I'm I'll just wait. Gonna walk it I'll off. wait for the real Avengers. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, are like, the champions uh, available? Yeah, maybe the defenders are around. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck, I'll take power pack over this. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, it's 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 the sort of thing that like it's so crazy that it's. Great. Yeah, that's why I loved it. Because it was because just like, it's not a good comic. No, it's bonkers. This comic is by definition bonkers. <laughs> like, that's what I would rate it. If I had to rate it anything but buy it, I would rate it bonkers. <laughs> um, I, I do agree with your assessment from earlier today that Al Milgram is a whoop ass artist. Yes. And um majored in whoop ass, uh, as a matter of fact. <laughs> aside from some like w- weirdness, which we have already mentioned. Uh, it's, it's a really gorgeous looking book and, um, it's just, it's so full of weird, uh, the Avengers have a weird history, man. Yeah, they do. A weird and wild history. It is. Yeah. And like, I was not an Avengers guy at this point. I was like, when I was younger, X-Men, that was my jam, all things X and sprinkled in a little bit of Spider-Man and some Batman, but and a little bit of cap, but I just, I didn't read, I missed all this stuff. I missed it. I fell in love with West coast Avengers after Bob Layton's Iron Man. And then I was like, Oh, Iron Man's and West coast Avengers as well. Yeah. I'll check that out. So right. I missed all this early West coast Avengers shit. This is nuts. Totally nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same. Like I, I, my exposure to West coast Avengers came way late in the run after they were a much more traditional superhero team. US right. Agent was there. Yeah. And I yeah, dropped uh, off at that point. I was like, eh, <laughs> I don't think I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, this, this, this was just bonkers. Yeah. It, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no, no other word for there it. There really isn't. A, uh, <laughs> I'm giving it a buy. It. <laughs> I, like the ghost of the phantom rider cackling in the plush uh castle suite yeah because he broke up hawkeye and my i, I sent you okay so i took a picture of that frame and sent it to you in a text and i was like mockingbird's rapist is here laughing about their divorce that is fucking evil <laughs> like, my god <laughs> yeah it is uh and the phantom rider is not any way related to the ghost rider is that correct like the supernatural ghost rider. Yeah. No. Okay. Good. <laughs> Though he was originally called the ghost rider and they changed it to the phantom rider retroactively. But there also was like an old ghost rider that like rode a horse in the old West. Right. Yeah, they didn't reveal that till way later, though. Okay, we'll have to investigate that further another time. Right now, we got to put our tuxes back on because we're going to another wedding, Joe. Yeah, we are getting a lot of mileage out of this rental. Get on with it. 
Do you take Mary Jane Watson to be your wedded wife? I do! Next up for me is Amazing Spider-Man 131 from Marvel 1974. For reasons that had to have been made clear over the course of several previous issues. Okay, I looked into it. They were not. Other than the fact that Aunt May was Doc Ock's housekeeper. Yeah, and she had been living in his castle or wherever and for 15 issues. We'll get into that, but you go ahead. Because <laughs> like... All right. I, I've got a theory. <laughs> All right. So Aunt May is about to get married to Dr. Octopus. Uh, apparently, Peter Parker was not invited. Aunt May does not seem concerned that he's not there. Uh, uh, no, he, he made an excuse because in the previous issue, he makes an excuse why he can't go to the wedding because okay. he right. has to well, show up as Spider-Man to stop the wedding. That's too much homework for me. Uh, piecing. <laughs> Piecing things together from the script, it does seem like you said May had been working as Ock's housekeeper uh, and Doc Ock was after her for some inheritance. Uh, but there are also hints that he truly cares for her. Well, we find uh, out which would, exactly which what would she inherited. Which would be followed inherited. up on years later. We find out exactly what she inherited. And what she inherited is ridiculous. <laughs> what does she inherit? She inherits that nuclear, like, that nuclear, uh, what's a, a nuclear breeder found like factory oh, the atomic breeder. Yes. She inherits a nuclear breeder factory that takes old toxic waste and turns it into munitions. That is what she inherited. And Not doc the one from this issue. Yes. And doc Ock wants it because he wants to use the nuclear weapons. That is what Aunt May inherited. <laughs> Shit. I missed that entirely. Yeah, man. That's why they fly to Canada and all that. Because that's what she inherited. He's like, this is why I married her, baby. <laughs> it's, it's all right there. I can't believe I didn't put that together. Yeah, dude. That's what all she right. inherited. Fine. All right. All right. <laughs> Makes total sense. Totally. <laughs> Naturally, Hammerhead is also in the mix, and thus another comic book wedding is ruined. Uh, Jerry Conway, like, I love how Hammerhead and his thugs just bust in firing guns indiscriminately. Well, but they stun yell pellets. stun pellets. Stun and pellets. Now right. that bites him in the ass later when they go to shoot down Doc Ock's helicopters. Like, ah, these fucking stun pellets. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Hammerhead, it's like this hard nosed street level gangst, New York gangster shows up with a bunch of dudes shooting stun pellets. <laughs> like, Come on. Yeah, I don't really think the whole like um, the whole like mafia, you know, Jimmy Cagney thing. Well, this is way this is way pre-gang war, definitely. Yeah, way, yeah, you know, yeah. No doubt. Uh Jerry Conway's script is again bonkers. Stupid. Full of cheese <laughs> and swinging 70s slang. Everything's heavy and far out, man. Ross Andrew is considered one of the greatest Spider-Man artists of all time. And while I could see flashes of that brilliance in this issue, there were definitely a lot of weird quirks in the art, especially when it came to Doc Ock. Oh, yeah. And his stubby little arms. He was like being <laughs> like, what the hell? He looked like a muscle ball. Like, he like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms in some figures. <laughs> it's really weird uh, and, in some panels. Spidey, <laughs> Spidey sure plays it cool when it seems like his greatest enemy dies in an enormous atomic explosion. <laughs> I mean, if anything, like, hey. At least he's not marrying my aunt. You know, I mean, like, I look, if I'm Spidey, I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to marry anybody's aunt now, Doc. The almost wedding of Aunt May and Doc Ock in Amazing Spidey 131 is a classic tale. There's no denying it. And I did have a blast reading it for the very first time. Warts and all, I'm giving it a buy it. It's definitely a product of its time. But you have to, like, when you're revisiting old comics, you have to, like, adjust for fun factor. of course well and not just that but adjust for the time and how comic book storytelling worked presentation and story of course right. now i did the homework i yeah, dug in did. because i had I'm, to I'm know proud of you and i am telling you there is a love story here there is a legit now did aunt may inherit a nuclear breeder factory yes she absolutely From did who? I don't know. They don't mention it. <laughs> I don't know, but she did. <laughs> you know, a, a second uncle or something. He loved her so much. He left her the nuclear breeder factory. I don't know, but 
She was his housekeeper. And during that time, Otto Octavius constantly talks about how wonderful she is as a worker, how loyal she is, how sweet she is to her nephew. He thinks Peter's a piece of shit. He thinks Peter is like a wastrel that's living on Aunt May, you know, like doesn't get it, but admires that she wants the family. Like he straight up loves Aunt May. And later on, down the line, his like I'm talking in the 2000s, Doc Ock talks about how much he how much respect and love that he has for Aunt May. He loved this woman, wanted to marry her. I think this is a true love story. It's absolutely beautiful. No, this was fantastic. I totally loved it. It is a massive buy it. It is peak ridiculous Spider-Man storytelling starring Aunt May and so much ridiculous Spider-Man storytelling starred Aunt May. By the way, we're going to get into another Aunt May story next. <laughs> oh yeah. Like this is, this is peak like Aunt May. Oh yeah. Is super frail. Oh, her, her, her heart could give out at any like, second. Why is she even around? <laughs> this is ridiculous. And don't forget scary, brash, impolite, and all around yucky. And what do you think? Let's get back to breakups. And speaking of Aunt May, and speaking of MJ, I'm I can't believe you made me revisit this. I am talking about one of the biggest breakups of all time Amazing Spider Man number 545. From Marvel, we're jumping all the way to the year 2007. This was written by J. Michael Straczynski and Joe Casada with art by Joe Casada. Point of order, Joe Casada and J. Michael Straczynski, to this day, argue about who actually came up with the idea for this. <laughs> it's ridiculous. J. Michael Straczynski didn't want his name on this book. And Joe Casada says, hey, his idea. Aunt <laughs> <So laughs> May has been shot and mortally wounded by a bullet that was meant for Spidey. This is the final chapter of One More Day, a four-part storyline that ran through the four monthly Spidey books. Let that sink in. There was four monthly Spidey books at the time <laughs> that would ultimately end Peter and MJ's marriage thanks to no, no other than Mephisto. At the time, editorial had decided that dudes couldn't relate to a married Spider-Man because statistics showed there were no married men reading Spider-Man at that time. So we got a four-part story of Peter begging all the Marvel big brains to save Aunt May's life. But Mr. Fantastic, Doc Strange, Iron Man, they all agree you can't mess with death. And when it's time to go, it's time to go, Pete. Unless, of course, they're bringing back someone from the dead, which they did all the time. But this is plot-driven, so deal with it, Spidey. Mephisto, on the other hand, has no issue saving Aunt May in exchange for Pete and Mary Jane's love. Not their marriage, mind you. Their love. In the end, MJ and Pete choose to save May, possibly sacrifice their future child, and we get the next phase in Spidey's life, Brand New Day, which also made Spidey's identity a secret again and brought Harry Osborn back to life. And also uh, undid his organic web shooters. It did that too, yes. One More Day has been a punchline for years, so I'm glad I was able to revisit the story. Joe Casada's art is, of course, amazing. And there really is some great dialogue and character moments here. It's easy to joke that Peter would never make a deal with the devil. but. His life was in shambles at this time. He felt like he couldn't protect May or MJ because he outed his secret identity during the Civil War storyline. And I have to say, JMS did not do a bad job selling this. We have joked about Mephisto trading in marriages instead of souls, but I forgot the whole thing with Mephisto talking about how special MJ and Pete's love was and stealing that love represents a certain kind of power that you just can't get from a soul, baby. It's basically like he's, um, it's like a, a, a pure union of two hearts is like a boon to God. Right. And for Mephisto to be able to take that away from God is a big win. Yeah, huge. This was, so it's not, it's not like, ha ha, I'm going to put your marriage in my marriage cabinet right. with the rest of them. Right. 
This was much better than I remember it being. I went back and read the whole goddamn thing. And after you get over the knee-jerk reaction of Marvel breaking the two up, this was pretty good. It also undid a bunch of dumb shit that JMS wrote into his run. Now, Brand New Day had its own problems, but ultimately Spidey ended up in a perfectly good spot. Do I wish they were still married? Absolutely. And will they be again? No doubt. But quite honestly, revisiting this, it was way better than I remember, and I'm giving it a buy it. Joe, you're mulling this over. <laughs> I can see you working. You should put some cricket chirping in I there. I can see your brain working. Tell me this was bad. This um, There was legit emotion here. And, like, and by the way, it was MJ's decision, not Peter's. It was MJ's decision, but that only because... All right, let me back up. They both had to come to the decision together, but yeah, she's yeah. the one that's let, like, do it, do it. If this makes him better, and she looks at the devil and there's a moment where she looks at Mephisto and she says, if this makes his life better, if this puts his secret identity back in order, if this makes him okay, I love him so much, do it. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, there it is, man. That's true love. That's beautiful. This is a bad story. Well executed. It is a bad plot line. Well yeah. executed. I'll give you that. Was the drama well done? Yes. Were the emotional stakes high? Did Were the characters' reactions believable? Uh, um, I would say absolutely. Here's where I stand on this. Peter Parker makes a very uncharacteristic, selfish decision. Uh, not that. Oh, let me back that up again. But it's uh, he. He makes selfish decisions all the time. But, but his how whole selfish? Is regretting them. How selfish is it in the situation that he's because in? Because he says. Because his reasoning is not like Mary Jane. She is all logic. She is like, look, man. People die. She was shot. I agree. People die. It happens. She's lived a good life. But it's way more than what that. What if it's her time? It's way and more Peter than that. Peter says, and Peter's rationale is, yeah, but she got shot because of me. Yes. And if she dies, I'll never recover. Not just that. He also thinks, I can't protect you. I, no, 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 no. I can't. That's not what he says. But he doesn't say that's it, but, not what he says. But that's what he's going through. He outed his secret identity and everyone around him is in danger now. Sure. But that's not what he if says. Anyone he says he should blame Tony Stark because that it, his his rationale is not like, oh, but how how will I protect the other loved ones in my life? No, his rationale is if my aunt dies because of me, I'll never recover. Let's not. Think about the fact that his uncle died because of him and he recovered just fine. He B became a superhero. BS. He carries that with him every day yes, and it's going it to happen again. Destroy him. It's going to happen again. And it's his fault no, again. No. And so he basically put Mary Jane in an impossible position saying, I'll never be able to be the man that you need me to be. Because I am too busted up about my dead 80-year-old aunt. I don't think you're looking deep enough at it, buddy. And I, I am. disagree. I am. I am looking and deep enough at it. He it's said like, to her, when she came out and said, like, don't put me in this position, he's like, fine, I won't. I won't put you there. If that's you're right, I won't put you there. And she's the one that turns to the devil and says, fix him. Fix everything. I get it. But that's because she, Peter basically told her, his life would be over. No, Joe, that's because she loves him. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so I just can't buy. I can't, I can't buy the reasoning. I just can't do it. Like I, after everything, and I know I'm not saying that this was not a well-executed comic book. I'm not even saying that I didn't enjoy reading it. This is way better than I remember it being. I, but what I'm saying is after everything Peter Parker has seen, and experienced. He has fought Mephisto before. There is no way he willingly agrees. It's not just his life. It's MJ's life too. Yeah, but in his mind, he's, he's saving her as well. No. He's protecting no. her. She's the, one, she's the one that suggests putting his identity back in the box, not Peter. Yeah. 
That didn't even occur to him. You're right. No, I'll give you that. that. You're right. She says, hide his identity again and whatnot. I'll give you that. But like, he's ruined. I kind of, look, no, you're telling I don't me buy it. you've never made a bad decision in a stressful situation? I've never made a deal with the devil about Peter it. Peter Parker is a guy just like you and me. I made a deal with the devil and my penis is so big, I can barely walk. And I didn't think about that at the time. But you're that's like not that the guy, point, Joe. You're like that guy in the boys season two. <laughs> I'm giving this a skim it. Because while I think that this is a, a well-told comic, I think that the driving force behind it is ridiculous. And I don't think it can be justified. I'm Fair sorry, enough. I don't. Up in the sky, look! It's a thing! It's a plane! It's Superman! Wedding time again. Superman, the wedding album, DC 1996. Groan. <laughs> Spoiler don't you alert. Groan at me. Groan. <laughs> don't you groan at me. Set in the heart of the 90s gimmick era, this special takes a break from all of the nonsense to say goodbye to the super mullet and finally unite Clark and Lois in holy matrimony. This issue features an all-star lineup of creators from throughout the character's history, including legends like Gil Kane, Nick Cardi, Jim Mooney, and the great Kurt Swan. The mid-90s writing team, Carl Kessel, David Michelinie, Louise Simonson, Roger Stern, and, of course, Dan Juergens. Touch base with all of Superman's supporting cast and even some of his enemies as they prepare for the big day. I love how much attention is given to these side characters. And this was characteristic throughout this era. The writers really made them feel like an important part of Superman's story instead of just props that help move the plot along. This issue is full of heart. And it reinforces the idea that Clark and Lois were destined to be together. There's a two- there is a scene in this book that I've talked about on the show before. Superman is huffing and puffing, running to, to his bachelor party because he's lost his powers. And Batman, uh, he, he stops, to, stops to foil a mugging and Batman shows up to help him. And as they're talking afterwards, Batman's like, hey, your wife was looking at an apartment. It just so happens Bruce Wayne owns the building. It's yours. Oh, and by the way, don't worry about leaving Metropolis unprotected during your honeymoon we've got it covered. And then the book opens to this two page spread of Batman and Superman looking up into the sky and all of the heroes of the DCU are flying overhead. And it gives me goosebumps every time Superman, the wedding album is probably not going to lie. My favorite wedding issue of all time. Oh my I'm God. I'm going to buy it. Oh my God. This, I hated this. <laughs> you are kidding me. I hated Why? it. Look, I love the parts that you're talking about. But it took so long to get to those parts where we're slogging. Well, they had to plan an entire wedding. We are slogging through Clark Kent with a ponytail, trying on tuxedos, hanging out with Lois's mean old dad and, and Lois's bridal shower with like all the girls and like the puppies there. I and, loved like, all of that stuff. All of that oh character my stuff God. was great. It was so boring and like just a part that of Superman that I feel nothing for. Absolutely nothing. We didn't even get to like the super people being in the book until the very end. And I get it. They took their time and they wanted to do something emotional and fun here. It did not resonate with me at all because I, I like, look, I've read a bunch of Superman. Sure. But I was not as invested <laughs> in those characters as you are. I thought this was boring, super dated and like trying to be funny, but not landing any of the jokes. And the, I agree that final page with all the heroes in the sky. Fuck. Yeah, that is amazing. And it's a great payoff, but God damn, did I have to read a lot to get there? I'm not giving it a leave it. I'm giving it a skim it because I obviously care. And I'm glad they took the time to do this. Give me the Doc Ock and Spidey and Aunt May wedding any day over this. This was you're dead inside. This was, this was all just like boring. Wonderful. It was a, a great character piece. It was boring, is what it you're was. Boring. Let's get back to breakups. 
I want to talk about Avengers versus X-Men number nine from Marvel 2012. This is written by Jason Aaron with art by Adam Kubert. Marvel was still stuck in their never ending post civil war. Good guys fighting good guys muck. And they could not find a way out of it. The crux of this story is the Phoenix has been fragmented and five of the X-Men have used the power to reshape the world. Of course, the Avengers aren't having that. So, we get to smash our X-Men toys against our Avengers toys for nine issues. This issue mainly follows the Phoenixed-up Colossus and Magic, who are keeping Avengers prisoner after a battle in Wakanda that left it underwater when Phoenixed-up Namor, who was hanging out with the X-Men at the time, sunk the place. Why this issue, you're asking, though? Because it features the breakup of a power couple, Storm and Black Panther had been married for a while at this point because their backstory was rewritten. So they met each other as kids in a small town called Africa. Storm did meet Black Panther as a kid, seen in a Chris Claremont story in Marvel Team-Up, Volume 1, Number 100, but that story was retconned big time in a 2006 Storm miniseries, which just happened to take the same, just happened to take place the same year as their wedding. After the phoenixed-up Namor sinks Wakanda, Black Panther was done with the ex-peeps. And also, his wife. She shows up, and she is not phoenixed-up. She's having a little trouble with what's going on with the X-Men. She says to him, You know I would have fought beside you if I had known this was happening. I've only stayed with the X-Men to try and stop something like this from ever happening again. Black Panther turns to her and says... You're now free to stay with the X-Men for as long as you like, Ororo. Our marriage was annulled by the high priest of the Panther clan. You are not my wife anymore. And she says, buh, buh, buh. She didn't say that. The high priest of the Panther clan, but you are the high priest. And he says, please don't come here again. <laughs> Brutal. That is how you dump a girl. Like, oh my God, Black Panther. I ended up reading this entire series too. and. It is still a very... What is wrong with you? Are you? Do you have nothing but time on your hands? I couldn't stop myself. It is still a big, pretty mess with great art. The Phoenix thing was fun for a while, but it ultimately led to some dumb stuff like Cyclops killing Professor X, which just adds to the list of reasons Scott is a shithead. If anything good came out of the event, it was splitting these two up, though. I get it. They're both black. They're both from Africa, but that doesn't mean they need to be married, you guys. Come on. I'm giving this a skimmit. The breakup, on the other hand, that is some cold shit, Black Panther. That is 10 out of 10. Wow. <laughs> Dump that chick. Jeez. Oh, Let's put things in perspective here. There's nothing wrong with the idea of Storm and Black Panther getting married. Just like there's nothing wrong with the idea of Batwoman being a lesbian. Sure. It's that when it was announced, it was a marketing-driven stunt. Yeah, they forced it into their backstory. They literally right. rewrote their backstory to do they create, this. They, they, they generated a romance that did not exist right. uh, in, in, the, in the work. And, um, and, like, you know, and like same with Batwoman. It's like, there's a new bat. I'm, there's, a, there's a new bat in town. And she's a lesbian. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, okay, you're fine. Um, but over the years, I've kind of softened uh, towards the idea of them being a couple, you know, whatever. It was fine. But I, 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 I am happier with uh, Storm, you know, not being the queen of Wakanda. Yeah, it was stupid. <laughs> and the whole time she was the queen of Wakanda, the people of Wakanda were like, fuck her. She is not the queen. We do not like it. So I felt like it was like, I felt like the fans were speaking through the comics. It was kind of meta. Uh, so uh, there, there was a bit of confusion as to which issue featured the breakup. And so I read number eight, uh, first by mistake, which actually, which is the issue that actually featured uh, the Submariner drowning Wakanda. Right. And I could not handle his low-rise ass-crack Phoenix pants. Yeah, well, they're back in the pages of Avengers right now. So, <laughs> Boy, howdy. Like, latest Avengers. Like, you got Namor with blonde, it's like fiery hair again and the weird ass-crack pants. It's all back. Huh. 
Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, this series was a mess. It, it was yeah. a hot mess. Um, it, it, a lot of good things did come out of it. Uh, and, but we're not here to review the series. We're here to review the issue. Um, and the breakup. Yeah, it's a buy. It. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, what are you going to do? And I agree. That's fucking cold shit. Yeah, man. I summon the cold of the Arctic winds. It's the last wedding we're going to. Thank God. Jesus. Our final review is of The Flash, number 142 from DC 1998. Mark Wade returned to The Flash with this issue after a year-long hiatus, uh, during which Grant Morrison and Mark Miller, two young whippersnappers, wrote the book. What better way to commemorate the occasion than with the wedding of Wally West to his longtime girlfriend, Linda Park? Aside from some dated references, Wade's script is as fun and as clever as I'd remembered. Uh, With the wedding less than a day away, Wally is overreacting in typical fashion as things threaten to go wrong. When he overhears Linda talking about a delay with the wedding cake, he runs to France and kidnaps a French baker. (laughs) That's what you do when you're the Flash, you know? Come on. And like sure, it's against gets, the law, but it's your wedding. <laughs> by, the, by the time he gets all the ingredients back, she's like, everything's fine. They just had the wrong address. Um, Wade's character work in this issue is strong. It contrasts Linda's closeness to her family with Wally's estrangement from his. But there's also the added level of his second family, uh, which is, you know, the Titans and the Justice League. Uh, Pop man or pop man uh, was an artist that was all over the 90s he had a decent run on the title back then uh something i totally forgot he actually came back during the rebirth era a few years ago while when joshua williamson was writing it. oh that's right uh, art totally obviously evolved since 2000 and or, uh, yeah, he's really good he's really good uh it, his art is strange to say the least <laughs> Uh, it's got bizarrely proportioned bodies yeah. and contorted faces, uh, but his action scenes are really fun and dynamic. Like he draws a great like flash in action. He reminds me of like a Larry Stroman, for example. Who sure when Larry uh, yeah. Stroman is drawing people standing around, it's the weirdest goddamn thing you've ever seen. But when he's drawing people beating each other up, it looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, know? it's just weird. The issue ends with a killer cliffhanger that will drive the series for months to follow. I'll let you guys uh, research that on your own. It was fun revisiting one of my favorite eras of The Fastest Man Alive. Weird art and all. I'm giving Flash 142 a buy it. Yeah, this is a huge buy it. This, this was a great wedding issue. This issue was fun. It, had a, it, it moved along at a good pace. It wasn't 64 damn pages long of BS, of dragging me through them trying on clothes and crap. It was 80 issues, buddy. You're welcome. It only felt like 64. Good. Well, fair enough. It read better, and it, like, it was better paced. I had a ton of fun with this, and this was a time of the Flash that was like pure joy. Mark Waid's Flash run was pure joy. And Williamson who's been writing the flash for a long time. He's not anymore, but had wrote most recently a very long run, did a good job, but was just like constantly trying to recapture that joy, but still like have really terrible, horrible things happen. And it was, just well, yeah, like, it was also event after event after yeah, event. Yeah. And, and which yeah. not totally his fault. I'm not blaming it on him, but I haven't felt this kind of fun reading a flash comic in a long time. And it was, it was fun to revisit it. It's a huge buy it for me. Joe Patrick, we find ourselves at the end of this marriage and divorce lunacy. What was your favorite book that you read out of this pile? You know, I want to give it to Superman just to spite you, but you know it's got to go to West Coast Avengers. There's no, there is. No contest. Like I had so much fun reading that book. I was showing it to my wife. I was tweeting it. Like that book is nuts, man. It went number one with a bullet. It was great. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. It's just what a ride. What a ride. 
Control. That's it for Cosmic Longbox Reviews and Control. Is the sound of Hammerhead busting through the door to object to Doc Ock's wedding to Aunt May, as seen in the pages of The Amazing Spider-Man number 131. This onomatopoeia of the week was picked by us because we were so moved by the generosity of Aunt May's uncle twice removed. Who had to be at least 200 years old when he died. And, and the gifting, <laughs> the gifting, the bequeathment of the atomic breeder facility yeah. in Canada. <laughs> Nothing says love like that, let me tell you. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, call us, make the noise, tell us where it came from, what's happening in the scene, what issue it's from, the characters involved, and we'll play it on the show. It's that easy. It's that easy. Now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we discuss our must-read picks for next week. And open our valentines to each other. Joe, this one is for you. It's the Incredible Hulk making a kissy face. And it says, everyone's going to be green with envy when they see you kissing me, Valentine. Gross. It's cute, right? Well, what'd you get me? Uh, well, seeing as we're both adults, I thought we could just talk about what comics we're reading next week rather than celebrating a commercialized holiday to show our love rather than just loving each other every day. So you, you forgot don't love me which is it i mean you're in trouble either way but which is it all right i didn't forget i just had something special planned for after the segment Uh so why don't you tell these nerds about your must read pick for next week every goddamn year my pick for next week is young hellboy the hidden land number one of four from Dark Horse Comics, it's written by Mike Bignola and Thomas Snedgowski, a name we have not heard for a while, right? Right. With art by Craig Rousseau, cover by Matt Smith, it's 32 pages, it's $3.99. Here is your solicit. Stranded on a strange island, after a mishap on their way to a South American dig site, Hellboy and Professor Brutenholm are confronted by all manner of monsters, but... Even when the stranger who rescues them turns out to be one of Hellboy's heroes, they aren't as safe as they think they are. Join Hellboy creator Mike Mignola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, whatever. Young Hellboy, Mike Mignola, Thomas Snedgowski, however you say that, who we truly love. The guy's super talented and we haven't seen him for a while. This is going to be fun as hell. I'm in. I love it when they call him Professor Brutenholm and not Professor Broom. Well, you know, they just call him Broom. It's a small thing. It's a small thing. Fair enough, but Broom was just short. It was easier to say. I get it. He's got a hockey last name. You know, what can he do? Sure. My pick for next week is Immortal Hulk Flatline, number one from Marvel Comics, written and drawn by Declan Shalvey. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. One creator, one Hulk, one superstar story. I hope Declan <laughs> Shalvey wrote this. <laughs> Declan Shalvey writes and draws an Immortal Hulk tale that gets to the heart of Gamma. Every morning, Bruce Banner wakes up in a new place. The Hulk is trying to tell him something, but Bruce has had enough of his green-veined altars. When a new Gamma-powered villain shows up in a small New Mexico town, Bruce is forced to confront the source of his anger, and it's not what you expect. Uh, don't miss an extraordinary blah blah blah. Uh, you know what? The Immortal Hulk had a rough week last week. Oh, yeah, it did. It did. I still love it. Yeah, we're not taking anything away from the Immortal Hulk. It's not the comic's fault. And Declan Shalvey, stupid, talented dude. They're giving him a chance to write. This is interesting that they're giving him a one-shot titled The Immortal Hulk. I want to see what he can do. I'm into it. Yeah, you know, they've, they've, been, they've been doing, or at least they have planned these, uh, these various one-shots, like Jeff Lemire had yeah. one, or... Has one coming up? Did the Jeff Lemire one come Not up? yet. It's coming, I believe. All right. But yeah, they've got um, a series of these coming from like artists and writers that you would like to see do something that were so in love with this series that they want to write part of it, which is awesome. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter, Volume 1, Coming of the Dragon, the hardcover from DC Comics. It is 368 pages. It is $49.99. You better believe Matt Bomb pre-ordered this shit. Here's your solicit. 
In these action-packed 1970s tales, American martial artist Richard Dragon crisscrosses the globe for the cause of justice. Along the way, he runs across slavery rings, a madman who has possession of an atomic bomb, the monstrous praying mantis, the mysterious Dr. Moon, and much more. This collects Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter 1 through 18, The Brave and the Bold 132, and DC Comics presents 39. I love Richard Dragon. Now. I know. That's why I picked it. Now. It should be said that there is some white messiah shit going on here. And I get that, you know, but this was a thing of its time where we wanted to write Kung Fu comics and we had to sell those Kung Fu comics to kids and the kids that were buying them at the time were mainly white kids. I'm not saying it makes it better or okay, but I love Richard Dragon and I love old Kung Fu comics so much. And they have done Richard Dragon so dirty <laughs> since then, really. <laughs> Love it. You should have seen what they did to him on Arrow. Oh, God. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. But when Richard Dragon showed up in the pages of, I believe it was the Question miniseries from like 2007, 2008, when we got to see the origin of Vic Sage and he was handing the reins of the question over to Renee Montoya, and we find out that Richard Dragon was Batman sensei and we find out that Richard Dragon is gay and it was so cute. It was so cute. He was in love with the question and I loved it. <laughs> like, oh my God, it was so good. You all right over there? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I had a you can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitter and our Facebook if you want to read along with us. And speaking of reading along, the THN Book Club this month is reading Vision and Scarlet Witch, colon, The Saga of Wanda and Vision, trade paperback from Marvel. And we'll be reviewing it with some friends on the final show of the month. Surprise guests. hey So hit up your local comic shop and pre-order all of these comics so you can play along with us. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 609, and we are back to reviewing new comics next week. And and next week is President's Day. And let me tell you, it's a rough day for some certain ex-presidents. So, some of us are celebrating, others are hurting. Regardless, we're talking about other presidents. We're sick of American presidents, and we want to talk about alien leaders. So we're going to talk about our top five favorite alien presidents. Poli alien presidents. Politicians, we'll call them, because they're not all presidents. Some are emperors, some are rulers, whatnot. <laughs> but maybe they can do a better job here. Who knows? Until then, Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week. We celebrate Valentine's Day all month long in the ziggurat, and so... This week's question, submitted by Ryan Hebrews Mount, is about love stories. He wants to know your favorite comic book love stories and storylines. Of course, Valentine's Day will have come and gone by then, but still. Yeah, we're taking this weekend off, so sorry. Yeah. We're missed. Yeah, sorry. Uh, he even throws down the gauntlet, suggesting that perhaps the THN uh, historian, Jason Sachs, can give us a brief rundown of romance comics. I don't know if there is a brief. There was like years and years and years of romance comics. <laughs> uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. Uh, we do this almost every week. Cover to Cover is back every Saturday, 11 Central Time, live on our Facebook page. And you can call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com to get on the show and be made internet famous. Uh, if you do submit a voicemail or an MP3, please keep it to two minutes or less. Uh, we get a lot of people that call in live and we've got to share that air. If you're new to the show and you are ready to file divorce papers already, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. Good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like... The lover man himself, Mr. Loverman himself, Richard Kovars. Yeah. Mr. Lover, lover. I'll tell you what, he's got so much love, his heart is bursting. 
only and it's not just because it's dangerously enlarged. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not helping. We'll say that. So. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Jared Leto. It appears he's had his damaged tattoos removed he's such, and is feeling much better. He's such an attractive boy. I don't know why he did that in the first place. I can't wait to see him in the four-hour Snyder Cut Justice. Oh, movie. man. Boy, and my main complaint with that movie was, it, first of all, my main complaint was not enough Jared Leto Joker. My second complaint, not rated R enough. <laughs> also, not four hours enough. <laughs> Until next time, true relievers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer. Might just give you a face tattoo that doesn't play real well with others. You know, unless you're like a SoundCloud rapper or something. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. It's like stand down, Post Malone. <laughs> <laughs>